If I haven't said hello, my name's Ben. I um, have the great privilege of being the senior pastor here at Vintage. And we're in a series thinking about um, spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, the rules of life. And I know that those are all kind of heavy words. And so I wanted to start with this beautiful little quote that I found this week, which comes from Renovare. And it says this, the contemplative tradition, which is what we're talking all about, continually draws us into love for God, reminding us that the Christian life is less a rule book than it is more like falling in love. Amen to that, right? That's what we're here to talk about, falling more in love with Jesus. And uh, what we've been doing, we're going to be doing over these next uh, eight weeks from now is continue to explore week by week different rules, different practices from the life of Jesus. And our hope is that you're going to then take them In your community groups, you're going to pick certain ones of them, wrestle with them deeply. John Mark Homer is going to be your video guide for each of the four weeks. And then out of it, we're hoping that you're going to form your own rule of life. And so we've had this little QR code up on the screen for a while now, which takes you to practicingtheway.org. And if you go there, you can sign up for a free account. And we hope that you will build your own personal free rule of life that you can use and will bless you um, along the journeys. But I would just quickly say, in, um, what, from following up what Carla said, it's very hard to do this on your own. It's very hard to just follow Jesus in a vacuum. You'll need other people. And that's why community groups launching this week is a really great thing. These are people who will help you along your journey of faith. And so last week we talked about Sabbath. And then this week we jump into maybe the biggest and best and the most important of all the topics, the topic of prayer. And so Deanne's going to come up now and we're going to read together. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, always really great to have a Bible in front of you in some form. And uh, we're going to read Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. When he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. The word of the Lord. Speak to God. So I don't know about you, um, but growing up, prayer was never much fun. It always felt a little bit like eating vegetables. You knew that it was good for you, but you didn't really want to do it. Anyone else? No, just, okay, just me. It felt to me like the kind of thing where you knelt behind your bread bed, you knelt down, you put your hands together, you squeezed your eyes really tightly, you spent a long time saying sorry for all the things you have or thought you might have done wrong, and then after that, you asked God for some very good things, and if you prayed it in exactly the right order, God might give it to you. Right? Prayer was a discipline, a duty, but I tell you, it didn't ever feel like much of a delight. I should imagine that might not have just been me as a child. For some of us, even today, uh, prayer probably still feels a little bit like that. Duty, discipline, but not delight. Amongst all the busyness and the noise of culture and society, like it's very hard to find time to pray, isn't it? And when we do, compared to everything else that bombards us and is available to us, 
It can almost seem boring and irrelevant. When we do finally sit down to spend some time with the Lord, like if you're like me, sometimes our heads can explode with all of the 5,000 things we've yet to do today that we meant to do by now. Robert Mulholland says, if we're not careful, prayer can simply become worrying in God's general direction. It's so easy to feel guilty, make our excuses and go and find something else to do. But prayer matters. But I do think, I do actually think this is a very hard time in human history to pray. We are, according to all uh, intents and purposes, the most stimulated generation ever to live on the planet. Just like one small part of it, you know, our phones alone and our screens that fill our day are fueled by multi-billion dollar corporations who have the aim to grab our attention, distract us, addict us and modify our behavior. Now, I know that sounds like a bit of a conspiracy theory. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But it's not surprising that when we try and stop and concentrate on, on an invisible being who doesn't have a 4K screen or a very loud speaker, it can feel hard, right? It can feel hard. I don't know about any of you, um, if any of you remember this thing from the 1980s and the 1990s. Um, it was called boredom. You remember? Um, way back when when you were driving in your car and the traffic light would go red and you would stop and wait and do nothing. Or you'd be in the grocery line at the grocery store and you just wait. Or you'd go to the restroom and you just go to the restroom. Don't think about that one for too much, right? <laughs> but now, of course, like all of those tiny moments that used to be available to us have been crowded out of our day because there is always something to do, something grabbing hold of our attention. And all those little spaces which we used to be a gift to the spiritual life, times when we might be reminded to speak to a higher power, now are all gone. I think there are other reasons too it's hard to pray today. We are apparently, and this might not be you, it certainly isn't me, but we are apparently the wealthiest generation in the history of the world. I mean, why pray? Because money can do what prayer does, right? I mean, but it's easier, it's faster, and there's no accountability, why pray for daily bread, quite frankly, when you can door dash it? We have more activity, we have more complexity fueled by our lifestyle, more noise, more entertainment, more subscription. I don't think anyone has ever lived like we do. We have science and technology, right? Why pray when you can ask for healing when you can just call the teledoctor? Why ask God when you can ask Siri? There's options available to us. We live in a secular society where we always ask the question, was it God or was it coincidence? Now, I'm not digging at this cultural moment. I love being alive today. I love living in a city like LA, but I realize that if you struggle with prayer, you're probably not um, alone. And I would also say no one ever masters prayer, just so you know. Maybe one of the people on earth who was closest to mastering prayer, the Saint Teresa of Avila, she says this, when it comes to prayer, we are all beginners. But here's the thing, prayer actually matters. It is the portal to life with God. And we need it. We need it. I actually think inside every human heart is this innate, inbuilt desire to connect with a God figure. Whether we identify it correctly or whether we totally misidentify it and head for money, fame, sex, addiction, whatever it might be. We long for it. And that's good. 
because Jesus prayed too. If you have your Bibles, um, you can, and it's always good to have a paper Bible if you have one, but you can literally flick for one, one moment to Luke chapter 5, and you'll see what it says in verse 16 there. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If you flick one page forward, maybe in your Bibles, you'll see Luke 6. It says, one of those days, Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, you will see instance after instance after instance of Jesus praying to the Father. On mountains, all night, early in the morning, in the garden, not just meditation, but actually prayer where something happened. And then if you've ever spotted this one, again, a few pages forward, Luke chapter 9, verse 28. It says, Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountainside to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Right, when Jesus prayed, it wasn't even just words. When he came into the presence of his heavenly father, something changed. He was enraptured in relationship with his father, transformed in prayer. And so maybe it's no surprise that when you get to Luke 11, the disciples say, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? Now that's really interesting. Because these disciples, right, these were good Jewish boys. They had grown up through school. They knew all about prayer. In fact, they would have probably prayed a prayer called the Amadah three times every day. They knew what written prayer was supposed to be about. But yet they asked Jesus, how do we pray? And it's interesting because they never asked Jesus, how do we do miracles, Jesus, as far as we know? They don't ask him, how do we raise the dead? They don't ask him, like, how do we kind of make blind people see? But they do ask him, how do we pray? Which makes me assume what they're really asking is, how do we pray like you pray? Because when we pray using these words and doing the stuff, it's religion and it's ritual, but it doesn't do much. But when you pray, something happens. How, Jesus, might we pray like you? When he prays, something happens. There's something about Jesus that these first disciples just find deeply attractive. And I don't know, I don't know how you get to church this morning. Maybe you're here with one of the baptism or the dedication families. Maybe this is your church you've been coming to for a long time. But I imagine somewhere deep in you is this deep attraction to the person of Jesus. Either that or a deep attraction to the single person who brought you to church this morning. I, I don't know. No, not really. Not really. If we have a deep longing for Jesus, then we should make that disciples' prayer our own. Let's take a moment to, see it, to pray what Jesus taught, what the disciples prayed. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us this morning in this place to pray. So let's, um, let's think about the practice of prayer a minute. Now, um, in the Bible, uh, prayer is an umbrella term. It's used for all the different ways that we might relate to God. John Mark Comer says it's like this. Prayer is the medium by which we communicate and commune with God. Now, as a practice, it is simply a means to an end. But prayer is not a means to an end. Prayer is the end. It is the abiding, the communing with our Heavenly Father. The practice of prayer is creating the space. It's creating the time. It's creating the opportunity where we might set it aside 
to be with the Lord. I think in many ways, the practice of prayer is a bit like what date night is to um, a marriage. Uh, Laura and I, we've been, um, we've been married about 16 years now. I should know, about, I should know. 16 years we have been, we've been married. Um, but when we were first dating, we lived far apart from one another. And so we would have these very infrequent and slightly random dates in these like halfway between cities between where we both lived. And because it was all very new and we didn't know each other, like it was all kind of a little bit exciting. But now that I've been, we've gone on a long time, we, we need something in our weeks to help us to continue in our relationship. And for us, we don't have like a date night. I wish we did. We work for churches, so nights are taken. But what we do have is like a Friday morning. And that's Sabbath for Laura and I. And so we have this pattern. We have a pattern where we go and we drop the kids at school and we do a bit of exercise and then we hurt a bit. And then we go and find a really good cup of coffee. And just for a half an hour or an hour or two, we will sit and I'm not telling you where, and we just be together. Some of you know, which is really bad. We just be together. We look each other in the eye. Sometimes we have lots of things to talk about. Sometimes we have nothing to talk about. But there's something about that small action which fuels the relationship we're trying to build for the rest of the week. And the practice of the prayer is the same thing. It is intentionally setting aside time so that you can have a conversation with the creator of the universe. And so today I, I want to just talk a little bit about the behind the scenes of prayer, not particularly specific practices or how you do it, but I want you to talk a little bit about how we could connect better with God himself. Now I think um, there are broadly four stages to prayer. These are not exact science, but I think these are generally the four bits of the way people pray. Um, you might recognize one or more of these. The first is talking to God, right? Um, Simply, hey, God, I need some stuff. Can you sort it out right now? Amen. I bet you don't use that language, but you know what I mean, right? Stage two, talking with God. Maybe a little bit more of a conversation. Hey, God, thank you so much for what you've done today. I love you. Thank you for your kindness. Um, please, would you help me with this? What do you think about that? Uh, stage three, listening to God. This is, I think, where a lot of Christians get stuck along the journey, but actually taking the time to stop and hear what God might say in reply. And then finally, stage four, being with God in deep communion. Now, these uh, progressions of stages um, are not linear. They're not exact science, but they are very similar to how relationships form and how they develop. You know, when I was first dating Laura, I was pretty much stuck in stage one. I was like, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about me. You'll be pleased to know I moved past stage one uh, into stage two and three quickly. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today, probably, if I'm honest. But I remember when we were dating, I remember in one of these faraway places where we were having a meal one day. We were eating pizza of an evening. And we sat down in this little restaurant and uh, we were chatting away, you know, catching up, lots to talk about, figuring each other out a little bit. But on the table next to us was this lovely older couple. And uh, for the hour or so that we sat there, they sat there and said almost nothing. And I remember thinking, oh no, they've run out of things to say. <laughs> like, oh no, what if that happens to Laura and I one day? That will be really bad. Except I've now realized, having been married 16 years, that that's kind of how it works, and it's okay. 
that couple seemed to be having a fine time of it. And they were. Because what they'd figured out is that something of the relational invitation is just to be together. That when you find that degree of deep intimacy in a relationship, actually you don't need a lot of words. It's okay. The gift is simply being present to one another. And it's the same in the spiritual journey. At these four stages, they're not linear. You don't mature, particularly past one to get to the next one. If anything, they're more like a tightening circle that takes us inwards and inwards, bleeding inwards, all merging together towards intimacy with the Lord. And now today I'm just going to touch more on the first one, honestly, but over your four weeks in your community groups, if you do this, I'm hoping that you're going to look at all four. And I want to particularly just give you a shout out to James, James Petty's group. There's James over there. They're starting this week thinking about um, listening to God's Supernatural 101. So if you're like, I don't know what stage three looks like, then we're going to say that is a great place to explore, particularly stage three along the journey. But I want to say this, it's worth the journey. It's worth the journey. Sadly, I think so many of us get stuck on one particular of these and we never see prayer in a more holistic sense. But let's see, let's just see this morning what Jesus had to say about prayer. Now, um, many of you will have heard the Lord's Prayer before. You've probably heard it, slightly different versions. It's in two of the Gospels. Sometimes it's called the Our Father in the Catholic tradition or the Lord's Prayer in the Protestant tradition. But it starts like this. When you pray... Say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, the Lord's Prayer, in many ways, it's a prayer. It's a written theological framework with a set of assumptions about God and reality. But really, it's a framework by which we see the life, our life with God. I also want to point out that it's really interesting that normally when we're taught to pray, God, can you do the following, which is what we might call intercession or petition, That is in the Lord's Prayer, but it's over halfway through. It's over halfway through. And the first half of the Lord's Prayer is entirely taken up rather with this theological or even spiritual reorientation of ourselves to the person of God. And so let's just look for a minute at four particular truths in the opening sentences that we just read. And here's the first one. First truth. God is our Father. The word there um, is the word Abba in the Aramaic. It's the word that a child would use of their father. It's basically as close as we have is daddy. It's a personal, intimate, deeply connected word, a term of affection. And it was a deeply revolutionary way to address God. The New Testament scholar Joachim Jeremiah says there's not a single example of the use of Abba as an address to God in the whole of Jewish literature. He doesn't think that before Jesus anyone had ever used this term for God. And yet, not only does Jesus use it, he was the son of God, makes sense. But he actually says to his disciples, this is how you should relate to God as daddy. Now, let's take a moment. Because for some of us, that will be very easy. And for some of us, that will be very hard. There will be deep pain in that concept. Deep pain because our own experiences of being fathered or of male role models, authority figures, has been so destructive that we've been abused and abandoned or crushed under this patriarchal idea. 
that we find that idea of God as daddy very, very difficult. Now, I just want to say, if that's you, I'm so sorry that's been your experience. But part of your journey towards deepening your relationship with Jesus and being healed will be to come to find some healing in that picture. Now, if you're not sure, just do this quick exercise with me for 10 seconds. Just want you to close your eyes and immediately think of God. Can you do that? Okay, you can open your eyes. Now, whatever that image that immediately came to your mind in will frame, for better or worse, your whole prayer life and your life. Because whatever you think God is like will make or break your prayer life because who you think God is will ultimately frame who you are becoming because you become that which you behold. You with me? Which basically means... As John Tyson says, unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you will never be drawn deeper to God in prayer. You'll never want to if you have a wrong vision of what God is really like. And I would just say, if you have something which is really painful for you in this situation, we have many tools within Vintage. Please don't like, go home without reaching out to someone so we can help you along the journey of healing. But we have many false images of God, I think, in our minds. On one side, as we've just said, if you have a view of God who's like this fundamentalist, angry, mean, judge in the sky who wants to smite everybody at every possible instance, you aren't going to want to pray, quite frankly, because why would you? It doesn't sound very nice. But equally, you can have false images on the other side, too. I think in a city like LA or a place like California, our problem is not that we think God is mean and angry. Most of the people I meet in LA think God is great. He's like their mate. He's like this spiritual guru who loves everyone, who loves everything. He's out there to give us all a really good time. Now, there's lots that's nice about that vision of God. That vision of God will never disagree with you. He agrees with everything you think already. He likes everyone you like. He hates everyone he hates. He votes exactly like you vote. He'll do everything that you want. But here's the really sucky part about that God. He is a figment of your imagination. And when you pray to him, it will be nothing. Nothing will happen because he doesn't exist. Right? I was talking to somebody who has just come out of a very deep involvement in New Ageism and has now found faith in Jesus. And he said one of the reasons he left behind that old life was because when he got down to the bottom of it, there was nothing really there. Isn't that profound? We can have false images on all sides, but the invitation is rather to reframe our vision of God as a good father. Do you know that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the primary word that is used for God is that God is compassionate. This is what God is like. If your vision of God is something different, then I want to ask you to take the journey of healing. When we close our eyes, what we're supposed to be able to envision is a loving, real, good, heavenly, welcoming, affectionate father who says, child, come. And it's a God who, by the way, looks a lot like Jesus because that's why Jesus came to show us what God is really like. That is what God is like. He's like daddy. Second thing is that God is close as the air. I don't know if you've ever learned the Lord's Prayer or you've read it. Depends whether you read it in Luke or Matthew, but you might even have it as a footnote in the bottom of your Bible. 
It says something like this, um, our Father who is in heaven. You know that one? Now, when I was growing up, I always assumed that heaven was this sort of distant cloud city somewhere out there where people go to where they die and probably where Elon Musk's first Tesla is like orbiting, you know, like somewhere out there. But the word that's used there is actually totally different. The word there actually is ranas, which means simply the air or the atmosphere. Now, later on, it had spiritual overtones that were gathered along the way. But, but just think for a minute, our Father who is in the air, that's a radically different picture, isn't it? Like, where is the air? It's everywhere. It's against our skin. It's in our bodies. It's everywhere we go. There is an incredible closeness to God that we sometimes miss. The early church father, Augustine, he said it like this, that God is closer to you than you are to yourself. Now, I know that, you know, sometimes we like to go up mountains like Jesus did to pray. But I want to suggest that the reason we do that, to get out, is not because God is at higher elevations and we can get closer to him. It's rather because we need to step out of the noise and the busyness and the freneticness. And when we step into those quiet, still other places, what we realize is God is right there. And God has been right there the whole time. We've just missed it along the way. God is all around us. Thirdly, the primary goal of prayer is the worshipful enjoyment of our Father's company. Jesus says this, hallowed be your name. Um, now that's a weird old term, isn't it? I can't remember the last time I called something someone hallowed. It's like a Lord's Prayer or bust kind of game, isn't it? But it's actually really the verb of the word holy. And holiness does not describe the morality of God. Holiness describes the otherness of God. Right? What basically is it saying is that, God, you are so special and unique and different and beautiful. You are completely different to anything else in the whole of reality. That is what you're like. This Trinitarian community of love and joy and peace. Tim Keller says this. To hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy towards God and even more a wondrous sense of his beauty. Consider how different this is from the normal way we use prayer. To get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things as in how successful we are or in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or our finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social status is in jeopardy. When life is going smoothly and our truest heart's desires seem safe, it does not even occur to us to pray. Seldom or never do we spend sustained time adoring and praising God. We know God's there. But we tend to see him as a means through which we get to things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. Challenging words, right? Now, that is not offered by Tim Keller or me to invoke any sense of shame or guilt. That's very easy to feel around prayer. But it is just simply to say that there is an experience of God in prayer that is available to us which most Christians do not ever attain. That there is an intimacy and a beauty and a life that is available in prayer that many Christians stop short of. Now, I would say of myself, I'm not someone who finds prayer extremely easy because I get over busy and I get distracted and I have many things going on in my life too. But I have discovered along the way in these still small moments 
that there is a beauty and life and intimacy of God available. For me, it's mostly going out at the end of a day when it's quiet and it's peaceful and often a bit dark and just roaming the streets quietly where I live. I haven't been arrested yet, but I find that when my heart is still and my body has slowed down and the day is done, when I get out in these places, I often experience the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is the best thing this side of heaven. Honestly, I really believe that, truly. When you find that place of intimacy, however you do, you are like being entered in, welcomed into the Trinitarian community of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you're like there in the middle of it, and it's the most astonishing thing of peace and joy and love. And also, by the way, when you get there, you don't tend to need to say, God, can you fix my knee? Because you don't need to, because God is right there. And you are welcomed in amongst it. And the great news is you don't need a degree to get there. You don't need a massive life coach. You don't have need to have been a Christian for 37 years. You don't need a bank balance full of money. You don't need any of those things. You just have to work out how to stop, which might be harder than all of those other things. If you haven't felt that, don't feel bad. But I just say that to say that God is available to you and longs to meet you on your journey of prayer. That's number three. The primary goal of prayer is worshipful enjoyment of Father. And then fourthly, finally, our prayers really do make a difference. I don't know if you noticed that, verse 10. We pray this verse many times at Vintage, all the time. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now there's some really interesting fundamental assumptions behind that, if you've noticed. Here's the first assumption. God's kingdom has not yet fully come. I don't know if you've noticed. Like, this is not the full expression of the kingdom of God yet. It's great. I love this church. I love you. I love this city. I love life. But this is not the full expression of heaven yet, just so you know. But it is coming. It is coming. And when we pray, we are in fact partnering God to bend reality in the direction of his will. We're partnering with God so that his kingdom would actually come. That is not fatalism. Fatalism kind of says it doesn't really matter, right? God's going to do what he's going to do. I'm heading for Netflix. Doesn't make any difference. But that's not prayer. Dallas Willard, he says this, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. Charade, sorry. He does not pretend... I'm still working on it, that he is answering our prayer when he is only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with a dead ritual at best. And of course, God doesn't respond to this, and you wouldn't either. When we pray, we're supposed to come with almost like a holy like, tremor, like, oh no, what am I going to pray? Because I have to be careful what I pray for, because something's going to happen here. Now, there's a whole other topic we could talk about unanswered prayer for another day, and I'm not making light of that. But prayer does things. Now, I simply want you to see how different that picture of prayer is. Do you notice it? Certainly from what I grew up with, I don't know what you grew up with, if anything. But I grew up with thinking God is like a grumpy dictator 
Well, it turns out he's like a loving father. I thought he was like far away in outer space somewhere. And it turns out he's as close as the air. I thought prayer was supposed to be about me doing the right thing so that I could get from God what I wanted. It turns out that primarily prayer is about delighting in God himself. I thought whatever's going to happen is probably going to happen anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And yet it turns out prayer really makes a difference. Now, I want to suggest that's a deeply beautiful picture of prayer. Now, I haven't even spoken about the how of prayer, and we're running out of town, so I'm not even going to go into it in great depth, but I just want to just say a couple of final words about prayer. And, and here's, here's just a couple of things to kick you off in your conversation in community groups. Um, do you notice Jesus doesn't actually say, just pray whatever's in your heart? Interesting, he doesn't. There are moments, undoubtedly, along Jesus' journey when in the Garden of Gethsemane, he pours out his heart, but he actually says, when you pray, say and he gives them a model for prayer. Now, over the last 50 years, particularly in the Protestant tradition of churches, we've done a big swing. Most of our forefathers grew up with like highly written out prayers and liturgies that they used all the time. In the last 50 years, we have uncovered this whole thing called extemporaneous prayer and worship, and we love it. But there is something quite beautiful on the liturgical journey that I don't want you to miss if you've made the big swing along with most of us. Jesus actually says, and it's only stage one, it's not all four stages, it's just the beginning. He actually says, here's a model for prayer. Those liturgical models, which have a framework for prayer, can be really helpful. Um, There's a few on the screen, whether it's the Lord's Prayer, like we've just read. um, The Magnificat, which is the prayer of Mary, um, which I was just drawn to pray. Don't get confused with the Catholic worldview, but it's just a beautiful prayer. The Psalms. Many of you have prayed the Psalms. Our worship pastor Thomas is writing a whole bunch of songs around the Psalms because they give us something to pray. When we sing in worship like we did this morning, that was liturgy. Um, there are apps like Lectio 365. There's lots of ways to encounter, but I just want you to say, know that there is a place for written prayer. There is. When you don't know what to pray, when you're in a horrendous situation, I remember doing a funeral of a schoolgirl who got run down. I thought, I've got nothing to pray here. And yet, I was given this beautiful set of words to use. Um, When you're in the dark night of your soul, even when you're starting prayer and you don't know what to say, liturgy can be a great starting along the way. It won't be enough on its own. It will be dead if you just have liturgy. But if you allow it to come alive and use it as a foundation for other types of prayer, it can be amazing. But here's what I say in closing. The best way to learn prayer is to practice. It's to practice. It's not just to learn about it. On Sundays, we're going to talk about it. We're going to have a little liturgy like we did this morning, but we want you in community to go a little bit deeper. We're going to ask you questions in your rule of life, like how are you going to pray? Where are you going to pray? When are you going to pray? Even for how long are you going to pray? And that's a difficult question, isn't it? It's probably longer than you are, I think. Francis de Sales says this, each Christian needs half an hour to pray each day. Don't know where he got the number for. But when they are busy, then we will need an hour. (laughs) Let me leave you with the thought that if you are too busy to pray, you might be too busy. You might be too busy. Prayer will look completely different for different ones of us, different stages of life. In fact, there is no bad way to pray and no single starting point for prayer. The spiritual masters offer one non-negotiable truth, though. 
You have to show up for prayer and you have to show up regularly. Everything else is negotiable and respects your unique circumstances, says Ronald Rollheiser. I want to invite you into the story of prayer. I want to invite you into the journey of prayer. If you have found prayer hard and difficult and distracted and complicated, you're not alone. But I believe God has more for you than you have yet seen so far. So as we come to respond, why don't we just take a moment? And even as we're here, and we've got a couple of minutes, why don't we just enjoy the presence of God? Because he is near as the air to you right now. He's here. And he longs to meet each one of us. And then as you continue to pray, I want to invite you to just focus your prayers around this Lord's Prayer. And we're going to just quietly, gently, where we are, just say it before we sing. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.